You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Braves, Slaves, Babes. So let's talk about Braves first. It's no secret that when North America was discovered, it really wasn't discovered. It's hard to discover someplace that people are already there. Now, if you land on a planet and there's no one there, then you might have discovered that planet. So you say, well, why are you going all the way back there? You'll see before we're done. So Europeans might have found something they didn't know existed and didn't know there were people here, but there were people here. So this makes some people a little uncomfortable. You say, well, you know, it's America. Yeah, it is America. It's North America and we have the United States, but somebody was here before we got here and it didn't go well for them. A huge percentage of the Native American population was wiped out and a ton of that was just a result of disease that they had no built up immunity for. So tons and tons of Indians died. It's an odd thing when you think some place is yours and somebody with more stuff, more power, more weapons, more whatever just kind of comes in and tries to cut some deals, but in the long run, you just end up, it's just too bad. And you say, well, why would God allow stuff like that to happen? Injustice. Bad things happen to people. What did these Indians do to deserve this? They're just roaming the plains, hunting, doing their thing, and here these Europeans show up and take over. It's a fallen world. You say, well, that's no excuse, but it is a reason. So let's move quickly to slaves. Now I'm gonna make a statement and I just want you to listen to the statement because I'm gonna use the same statement in a minute on another subject. So before I talked about slavery, I want to be sensitive to the people who thought that slavery was okay and should have remained legal and lost money as a result of the change in the law. That sounds like a crazy statement, doesn't it? It's just preposterous. What are you talking about being sensitive to people who owned? There were lots of people who owned slaves. And when slavery is abolished, they lost money. They lost workers. Shouldn't we be sensitive to them? I bet you can't find many people. You might find some who somewhere quietly might say that out loud. It would be hard to find too many people that would agree with that statement. African slaves... Let's just go with the ones brought, you know, they're not in their little village praying to God saying, I hope someone comes over here and abducts me and ships me overseas to be sold to some people who need somebody working in their fields. That's not their dream. Any more than it was Joseph's dream that his own brothers would sell him into what? Slavery. So let me just talk about him just a second. Slavery has been going on for a long time in the world, still exists today. Sexual slaves are all kind of slaves. You say, well, it should be abolished. I agree with you. But who does the abolishing? And this is one of my favorite things. People say about God, they say, well, why doesn't he do, why don't you do something about this situation? And you hear this massive echo from heaven. Why don't you do something about this situation? 
You say, well, God should do something. How do you think he gets a lot of stuff done? Find you a mirror, look in the mirror, you're up. You say, well, he could just show up and do whatever he wants to do. He's doing that, it's called the church. So you're sitting around waiting for God to do something now. Back to Joseph. Joseph is literally owned by Potiphar in this family. And it appears, and you say, well, are you saying slavery's okay? I'm saying it's a reality. And for anyone who has been a slave and can't change their situation for fear of death or, and if they're willing to die to change it, some did that too. But you say, they can't change it, what do they do? You have to do everything you can with what you've got in your situation, but trust God no matter what. And in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, it appears, because there's not a peep of any whining, complaining, oh, woe is me, what happened to me? He knew that God was in control of his life even if he was a slave. Doesn't make slavery right, but it means that you have terrible things that happen in the world and you gotta figure out how to move forward. Because God is bigger than your situation and your condition. And if you read the story of Joseph, ends up running a prison, ends up running Egypt, saving his own family, it's a, a tremendous story, but you gotta have a lot of faith in the long haul big picture to survive that. So finally, the Civil War. During the Civil War in the United States, 1800s, you've got 31 million people in the United States. And 620,000 people died fighting a war over what? Over slavery. So people were willing to die to reverse something that was completely immoral. You say, well, how could anybody think that owning another person would be okay? Here's how you make it okay. You just say they're not people. So 620,000 people die to overturn some law that said that owning a person was not gonna be okay anymore. Even if it cost a bunch of people in the South a lot of money. A lot of lives got lost, more in that war than all the other ones combined. So a lot of people died trying to turn over slavery and trying to protect slavery. So let's talk about the babes. I believe that if you hated slavery, you should really hate abortion. Now this is where it starts, and I'll give you some scripture in a minute, so hang on. The argument usually begins with this. What about the rights of the women? You're talking about the living women, I assume. Since Roe v. Wade, over 60 million babies lost their lives. So of those 60 million babies that have died, unborn children, I'm guessing a good chance half of those were girls. So that's what's very perplexing to me. Where are all the women talking about women's rights, talking about the rights of those little girls who never saw the light of day? Now, you say, but it's about women's rights. I hear you, and I'm trying to be sensitive. Well, let's go back to my statement about the slaves. I want to be sensitive to the people who think that abortion is okay because those weren't really, in slavery, they weren't really people, and in abortion, they're not really people either. See, if you just decide people aren't people, you can do whatever you want to do with them. They're just animals. They're just nothing. We got women in this room right now that are pregnant. And I guarantee if you ask those women, what you got in there? Well, I haven't decided yet. Because if I decide to keep it, it's gonna be a person. If I decide not to keep it, it's gonna be a problem. Just because you have rights. And we have protected those rights by law and are in the middle of another civil war. Another civil war. 
not so civil war. And it's gotten so nuts that there are pastors, and I get what I'm doing here today, and you say, well, I'm still sitting here, but I may not be back. I understand that. I'm going to have to answer to God one day for all this mess and what I was willing to say or not say. You say, well, if you speak the truth, people will leave. They may leave. I got to answer to him, not you. Right? And let me tell you something. You got to answer to him, not me. And you say, well, I come from a place, and you say, well, are you talking about some political position? This is way past politics. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, I don't care what you are. You can green leaf, whatever you want to be. Make up your own party. This is about an issue that's bigger than all the parties. And everybody wants to talk around it because in our country right now, there's lots of tension. You strip it all away, boil it down, boil it down, scrape it off, boil it down, scrape it off. It all comes down to abortion. All of it comes down to abortion. And people hate each other over this issue, won't talk to each other over this issue. Go to Psalm 139. For some of you, you know exactly what I'm going to read, but some of you have never read this or maybe been willing to read it and consider what it might say in regard to this. And by the way, if you're still really uncomfortable with this whole thing, that's okay. Sometimes you need to be uncomfortable. But make sure you're not trying to disagree with me. Make sure that you're listening to him. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and changes your mind, you might want to go with that. Because that's a better place to be than disagreeing with someone, another human being. So listen to just part of Psalm 139, verse 13 and following. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. This sounds like something happened before you were born. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Sounds like God knows about whoever, you know, the psalmist here before he's born. You know what? If you are for abortion, you need to stop taking sonograms because what are you looking at? What is the big deal? There's nothing in there. What are you looking for a heartbeat for? Doesn't matter because till it's born, it isn't a person anyway, if that's what you decide. So it turns out we still got a mess of slaves. Problem is, these slaves never see the light of day. They are slaves to our convenience and what we call our rights. John chapter 1. Now, I understand I'm reading your scripture, and some of you have got your head so tight around the axle about now, you're about to explode. Just go back to the slave deal. See, you want me to be sensitive to your position, and that's as absurd sounding as me being sensitive to the position of the slave owner who's losing money and property because we've reversed on whether these are people or not. And I'm still trying to be sensitive. Although it sounds just as absurd to me to be sensitive on this. And I'm praying there's a day comes when that will be as absurd to be sensitive to this as it was to that. John chapter one, verse 14. So the word here, capital W, refers to Jesus as the word, the logos. 
And it simply says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So it says he became flesh. When did he become flesh? When did Jesus cease to be God in the transition from heaven to earth? When did he cease being God? Would he take off nine months? If you're gonna have these arguments, you're gonna have to come up with some stuff. If he never ceased to be God, then he took on flesh, meaning the Holy Spirit overshadows, as it says, Mary, and all of a sudden you go from Jesus being in heaven, no break, and bam, he's planted inside the womb of a woman. I think he's still God in that womb through the whole process. So if he's a person throughout, he's either in heaven or here, but he's still who he is, then at what point is a person not a person? Go to Matthew 21. So Matthew 21, this is triumphal entry. Jesus is going in Jerusalem. It's the week Passover. He's going to be arrested, crucified. So he goes into town, hail, hallelujah. You know, they're all worshiping him while he rides in on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Down in verse seven, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches and it's Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So just a few verses later, verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So you say, well, Oh my gosh, he's in there flipping tables. Like, when is that ever appropriate? There are situations where it is appropriate. You say, well, how do I know when that situation is? You better be under his control and not out of control when you do it, whatever it is. Now, I'm going to read you something you may not even know is in the Bible that's pretty cool. Go to John chapter 2. How many times in the scriptures did Jesus go into the temple and drive out these money changers? Anybody know? I always thought it was one time. Watch this, John chapter two. Verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus, so he turns the water into wine at this wedding. Go down to verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this is his ministry, he's out, he's doing his thing and he goes to Jerusalem. This is year one, this is not before he's crucified. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Which by the way, he claims to be God in that moment. This is my dad's house, get this stuff out of my father's house. Which is by the way, what we should be saying about the sin in our lives. Get all this stuff out of my father's house, because this is his house. That's why sin should be so disturbing. This is not my house anymore. This is his house, bought with a price. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, quoting here out of one place, at least Psalm 69, 9, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So it bothered Jesus. Ephesians 4. I know we're jumping around unusually, but it's okay. Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse 15. There's a little phrase in here I'm after, talking about growing up as a believer. 
And he says, but speaking the truth in love. And you say, well, how do you do that? You can speak the truth even with righteous indignation and still love the person. And here's the danger. You know you're out of control when you wish ill on the person you disagree with. And I have to watch this because I can shift into disagreement and my disagreement turn into animosity. My animosity turns into, I wish something bad would happen. Don't go there. We're supposed to speak the truth in love just because you disagree with somebody. You can state your position and the day you can't, now you're really in trouble. Because what's happened in our country now is we have free speech as long as you believe the same thing as the person that thinks there's free speech as long as you agree with them. And then if you disagree with them, they can talk you down, scream you down, and tell you, no, you can't believe that. That's brilliant. Speak the truth in love. Then go down verse 25 in that same chapter. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then these words, be angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So it can go too far and you give place to the devil. But it does say there's a time to be angry. There are boundaries. Now, you say this could cost me. If I believe what I believe and I take a stand and I do all this, it could cost me. Sure, it could cost you. How do you think Jesus got in and out of here without it costing him? It's suffering, it's persecution. And on top of even, you say, well, this is about abortion. No, this is about being a Christian. But if you stand up even for the gospel and tell someone you believe Jesus died on the cross, buried, raised from the dead, and the only way to get into heaven forever with God is Jesus, that's gonna cost you. But it's either true or it's not. All right, last little thing here is in Exodus 20. So there's one of the uh, 10 commandments in Exodus 20, verse 16, and it says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So you say, well, what if somebody just makes up stuff about me trying to destroy my life, just to get rid of me, to kill me, or you know, just take me out, just, they don't like me. Read Deuteronomy 19. Now this is amazing. If you don't read, you know, you say, oh, I read my Bible. You start reading it, you're gonna miss stuff. If you're reading it fast, just to say you read it. Deuteronomy 19, verse 18. And this is about bearing false witness. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall, look at this, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother, so you shall put away the evil from among you. So whatever the false accusation was that you were basically saying lies against some other person, whatever you intended for that person ends up happening to you because you bore false witness. You said, that's not right. People shouldn't be making up stuff. You work in an office. You decide you're a Christian. You come out with that. Somebody didn't like that. And they start telling stories about you, making up stuff about you to get you fired because they don't like you. What are you gonna do? You may have some righteous indignation but stop being shocked. Marvel not that the world hates you. They hated him, they're gonna hate you. My gosh, this is not a popularity contest. You're on the planet in a war zone. This is war and there's a real enemy. And by the way, the enemy is not who you think it is. See, what the enemy does is he says, well, that person disagrees with this person and so we're enemies. That's what the devil wants. He wants us fighting each other. The real enemy is the real enemy. It's the enemy himself. 
It's not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness in high places. It's demonic. It's evil. And they mobilize in the same way. Now listen, watch this. In the same way that because we do not submit to God and yield to his will in our lives, we are not mobilized the way we're supposed to be. Sometimes the enemy engages people and they are willing to do his bidding. So if just Christians were as submitted to God as some people are to Satan, imagine what would happen. Because I promise you, he's saying speak way more than you're speaking. He's saying do something way more than we're doing something. And he's saying stand up and we sit there and say, let me pray about it. Let me tell you something, folks. You need to stop praying about what God tells you to do. Oh, I need to pray about that. Make sure that's him. No, it's him. Get off your butt and do something already. All right, a couple more. Matthew 5. Just a little encouragement here. Because if you go public, you're going to get shot. You can't stick your head up and then be mad because somebody's shooting at you. Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the last one, Matthew 26. And if you needed somebody that understands what you're going through, if you decide to stick your head up and do what he's telling you to do, Matthew 26, 57. Jesus has been arrested, and those who had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And by the way, the scribes, the elders, these are the people that God has put in place to run Israel, who are supposed to be his people. The scribes and elders were assembled, but Peter followed him at a distance, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now look at verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now go back and read Deuteronomy sometime. What should have happened to all those men seeking false witness against Jesus. They, by Mosaic law, should all have been killed. That's what should have happened to them and anyone who brought false accusations. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And how bizarre is that, that they didn't even know what he was talking about. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. And that it would be destroyed, which they were about to do, beat him, crucify him, bury him. But then in three days, he'd restored, be raised from the dead. Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. 
And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. So you may be one of the braves. You say, I'm brave. And you may understand you're a slave, you're bought with a price. But you can't be a babe the rest of your life. You cannot be an infant Christian the rest of your life. You have to grow up speaking the truth in love. Get your legs up under you. Read your scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit live in you and through you. And when you have opportunity, give reason for the hope that's within you. And sometimes there's going to be some indignation because what's being said is just not right. But you don't wish evil on the person that you disagree with because that's when you cross the line. Okay? So I know this is intense. I'll tell you where some of this is coming from for me. I'm done. This is, and you say, oh, you're, you're, you're talking about being an American. This is way past being an American. This is about being a human being and being a Christian human being. You need to stop waving your ticket to heaven unless you're going to do something with your ticket to heaven until you get there. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.